theyeshiva.net. Page 72, column 2, or Daf Lamed Vav Amadalat, column 4, Pasha Shlach. We're going to continue inside. So we explored yesterday the two dimensions, you remember? Sur Meiran, Asetayv. There's a skafya sitra achira subduing the darkness, which then creates istalik ekara de kuchabricha bechulam, and it bursts the bubble of concealment in all of the worlds, and it creates an opening in all of the worlds. A ripple effect, right? And as a result of that, in all of the universes, the vessels, the heichalos, the oilamas, don't block the oirein soif, they don't eclipse it. On the contrary, they're turned into vessels to absorb the light. Instead of being vessels that block the light, they become vessels that absorb the light. Because every vessel could be be defined in two ways. Either it's a container that blocks, or it's a container that absorbs and transmits. And both are true. Now, usually, in order for the keli to transmit and to contain, it also has to block, it has to limit. Because if not, it becomes overwhelming. That's how the world was created. And yet, when the person down here breaks through the concealment of says, so the oil in all of the worlds penetrates, the oil in all of the worlds, instead of being eclipsed by the kalim, the kalim become transmitters of the Ein Saif. But the system always has to be first, and then then you can have the gilui, the revelation of the Ein Saif Lamata. So he continues. you see the second column, the line starts Vigoimer. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Around twelve lines from the bottom, the line starts Vigoimer. The line after the line, one line starts as Skafia, the line after that starts Vigoymer, Vaydeze, Stalik, Ikara de Kuchabri. Vaazi Chaylam Lakabla, Debchinas Vasetov, Gilead and Seiparachulamata. And then through Asetov, through the positive energy, one can experience, one can receive the Gilu, the revelation of the Ein Seif, Lamata even below. Al Yidei. And the vehicle for that is the Ramach Mitzvah's essay, the 248 positive mitzvahs, Dairaisa Mechachmanafkis. The Zayar says, Torah, all of Torah comes from Hashem's wisdom, Hashem's Chachma. The mitzvahs, which are of course Torah, the mitzvahs and Torah are the same thing. Torah instructs the mitzvahs. So the mitzvahs are basically 248 channels of the divine wisdom. Torah is Chachma, it's Hashem's Chachma, and there's 248 channels to experience that wisdom, though that we call them the mitzvahs asay. This explains why the Zoyar, when it wants to refer to mitzvahs, the Zoyar calls the mitzvahs 248 organs of the king, limbs of the king. Literally, the human being, the, our organism, is comprised of Ramach Eivarim, 248 organs. So the Zoyar says, Kevayachal Hashem is also made up of 248 organs, but it's not 248 physical limbs of the physical, biological uh, human physiological organism, the, but, but that's the guv, but rather it's a, so to speak, spiritual the malka. What do they look like? They look like the Ramach mitzvahs. So every mitzvah represents another limb. What's the meaning of this metaphor? What is the Zayar trying to say? So he says, <laughs> 
basically every limb and organ is another way through which the brain manifests itself. Kenira bechush, we see practically shabemoyach margish keiv shall call In the brain, you feel the pain of everything. What's happening in the body is always happening in the brain. The brain is the seat of consciousness. When we say my pinky hurts, the pinky doesn't hurt. The brain interpreted the sensation, the stimuli that went into the pinky. The brain gives it context, interpretation, combines it with history. The entire experience of self happens through the brain and in the brain. Every single aver. Now, remember today we know this very clearly. We understand the centrality of the brain. At this point, before x-rays and certainly before CAT scans and before the, the understanding of the brain that we have today, which is still very limited, but neuroscience, where it is today, is quite advanced. Legabi, where it was, I don't have to elaborate on it, where it was in uh, 1807. But yet, he's, he's touching on this truth that there's nothing that's happening outside of the brain. Everything is the brain. The brain is the central nervous system. Every aver originates in the brain. Every limb and organ, every nuance of the body first originates in the brain. It has its place in the brain. You press that certain button in the brain and it affects that part of the body as we know today. And then the body is linked, every aver is linked to that dimension of the brain through the highway system, which we call the nervous system, very elaborate and nuanced highway system, far more sophisticated than any highway you will see in America. Basically, you have approximately 100 million a hundred million neurons in the brain. I mean, imagine you have a hundred million wires, not one wire, not a million wires, a hundred million wires, and they're all functioning simultaneously, and they're making approximately a hundred million decisions every millisecond. <laughs> That's a pretty impressive, wireless, impressive machine. Huh? It's wireless. And it looks wireless, right? Looks wireless, yeah. Huh? They're not procrastinators. What the brain does, what the brain does, unbelievable. So, uh, so therefore, all the ivarim are essentially expressions of the brain. You even have the concept of what they call phantom pain. Somebody has v'shalem, and I was talking to a soldier in Israel, so he lost an arm. And he says, in terms of his brain, the arm is still there. The pain that he experiences from that arm, he says, it just doesn't stop. Because in the brain, the arm exists. In the brain, even though physically there's no arm anymore. Because the arm doesn't begin in the arm, it begins in the brain. It has its source in the brain. And then it develops into an arm, which is basically an expression of the brain. And the brain continues to feel its pain. The brain continues to experience the arm. And that's true in every person's life. Every single aver continues to receive all of its nurture, all of its vitality, all of its life force and the instructions of what to do, how to do, when to do, where to do, what not to do, all in the brain. That's what the Zoya means when it says the mitzvahs are a varim the malka. The Torah is like the brain. The chachma. And each mitzvah is another expression of this mayach. And just like when you capture an aver, you're capturing a certain element of the soul. There's something that's expressed in the nose and something expressed in the eyes. And there's a soul that's expressed in the arms and in the legs. Every mitzvah captures a certain energy of the Ein Saif that comes through the Chachma, through the Torah. So just like the Ivarim 
are basically expressions of the brain. From God's wisdom, to the higher worlds, to the lower worlds, to the worlds that are called the Alman Stimmen, the more concealed worlds, and the Alman Dezgalian, the revealed worlds. The Cholavot Vash, milk and honey, Heim Pchines, Terein Deroyen, they are known as the two arms, Deroyen are arms. Chesed Ugvura, Zoyar says, Chesed Royen, Chesed is represented by the right arm, Gvura is the left arm, Tiferis is the torso, Netzach and Hoyd are the two thighs, the two legs, Yisoid is the procreative organ, the bris, oizbris, kaidish. Malchus is either the spouse or the mouth. And that's where the spheroids, the kaiches, are represented in the physiological makeup of the body. Chachmabina das are three regions of the brain. Chesed is the right arm, Gvur is the left arm. So he says, that's Cholov and Dvash. Cholov and Dvash, Cholov represents the right, Cholov, and Dvash represents the left. Cholov represents milk, milk, which is white, which is basically the color of chesed. Dvash is also sweet. You see, gvura could be very, very sweet. <laughs> it's intense, but honey is intense. Its color is intense, and if you ever watch how the bees make it, it's also intense. It's very, very intense. It's powerful. Dvash has a certain power to it. So dvash represents the yemina usmala, we say in the Arizal's poem, Friday night, below the arms of the world and parts of the which Kabbalistically represent the Zeroyas of the Divine, the arms of the Divine. Shahu, all of this represents Pchines Amshachas Alakusai De Mitzvah Smaisias. That the Mitzvah, the physical Mitzvah in this world, acts as divinity, Ramach, Evarin, and Malka, because they are the 248. Limbs of the king. And Chalav and Dvash represents the two central forces, the right and the left, which is the Chesed and the Gvur. And the physical terrain of the land of Israel, Eretz Yisrael, Chazal say, parallels the spiritual terrain of Eretz Yisrael. There's two Eretz Yisraels. There's the physical Eretz Yisrael, and there's the Eretz Yisrael above the physical Eretz Yisrael, which is the metaphysical Eretz Yisrael. The Medrash says on the Pesach, we say every day, that basically the Besamikdash Shalomata parallels the Besamikdash Shalomayla. The Gemara says in Tainas, the Yerushalayim Shalomata parallels Yerushalayim Shalomayla. There's the Jerusalem below, and there's the Jerusalem above. And they parallel each other. The Jerusalem below is... The physical home where the spiritual Jerusalem dwells. Just like the physical Beis HaMikdash was a home for the spiritual Beis HaMikdash. Rashi says on the Pesach, when Yaakov woke up from his dream, he said, Ein Zakim Beis HaLekim V'zeh Shar HaShemayim. This is the portal to heaven. Because Beis HaMikdash, Shalomata Mechuvan, the Beis HaMikdash below parallels Beis HaMikdash above. This is the portal to heaven. The physical portal to heaven. Because there's a certain manifestation of heaven in this particular place. The same is true in Eretz strong. And that's why the main mit- main mitzvahs, especially when it comes to agriculture, and Tumah, and Karbonis, all Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because this is basically, this was the whole build-up that he explained. That a person needs, he asked in the beginning of the Mayimah, what's the Nikud of Eretz Yisrael? Why are all the, so many, most of the mitzvahs dependent on Eretz Yisrael? What's the uniqueness of Eretz Yisrael? 
So on this he said that what? He started to say that we live off bread because there's something in the bread that is deeper than the person. And the person needs the bread because it has sparks that come from Eilam Similar to that, the soul comes into the lowest world, which is very difficult for the soul because there's something in the lowest world that the soul needs, the soul gets from it. What is it? It's taking the seed and planting it in the earth even though it's getting decomposed. Why ruin a beautiful seed? Because there's going to be growth that will only happen from putting the seed into the earth. Planting the seed in the earth is a metaphor for planting the soul in the earth. When you take a soul and you send it down to earth, it also gets decomposed. What a soul goes through in this world is pretty difficult. It's very strenuous. Every person's journey is a complicated journey. Everybody here sitting in this room or wherever you're sitting in the world or standing in the world, we know that the journey is a complicated journey. But the metaphor for all journeys is a seed planted in the earth. It was a nice seed. It was sitting on your windowsill in a nice plastic cup with music playing near it. And then you take this seat, very comfortable, in a little cocoon. It was watching everything happening in the kitchen or in the dining room, and it was very comfortable. And you say, Cub, come seat. And you take the seat out, it's cold, it's dark, and you bury it six feet under, literally, and you put it in a grave, and the seat says, What are you doing to me? What have I done wrong to you? And not only that, the seed rots, and the seed decomposes, the seed loses all of its luster and all of its identity. But you promise the seed and you say, from this, great things will happen. And then a few months later, ah, there's an abundance, abundance of produce that comes from that one seed, far, far more than you could have imagined when you just saw the seed. So he says, this is the marshal, you take the soul, it's a wonderful, wonderful seed, and you send it far to a remote location, to a dark location, to a difficult location. And in the process it can become decomposed. It goes through tremendous, tremendous strain and stress and challenges and questions and dilemmas on so many different levels. And yet, he says, as the soul confronts the Sitra Akhra in this world, there's a light that's created in all of the worlds. The, the, the infinity of the Ain Surf reverberates throughout not only this cosmos, but all because of the seed down there in the earth. It could have never happened without it. That's the Yisra Na'ar, Mina that comes from the darkness. And that's why he explained the whole idea that all worlds are based on concealment. And when the concealment is broken in this world through the soul that went into the earth and has to deal with the earthiness and the gravel and the dirt and the rubble and the debris and the filth and all the other nice words to describe the <laughs> filth of the earth, there is a reverberation, a cataclysmic effect from the highest world to the lowest world where there's the bubble burst, as we explained yesterday. The darkness is breached and it's penetrated and the Eid Saif could illuminate it, both in terms of Sur Meirah and then Asay Toiv. Sur Meirah represents the 365 things we don't do and then the 248 things that bring in the light and that's why he says they're called limbs of the king that capture the mayach, the brain, which is the seat of the soul which in the Martin the Nimshal would be the Ein Soif, which is expressed in the Chachm and the brain, through each mitzvah, each mitzvah is a different channel of, of that particular Chachm. And what's the primary place where that happens? In Eretz Yisrael, the physical terrain of Eretz Yisrael, which is parallel to the spiritual Eretz Yisrael. Now, on the last line, he puts out his statement, which is really it's like a, throwing like a hydrogen bomb. And 
Don't think that the Meraglim were a bunch of troublemakers, lowlifes, rabble-rousers, rebellious, spoiled brats who could do nothing but rebel against Hashem. The Meraglim were Madrega Gavoya Mo'ed. They were on a very lofty spiritual level. They lived in a very sublime state of consciousness. They did not want to belittle themselves to the world of mitzvahs maisius, physical mitzvahs, which basically is trying to access infinity below within the containers of the material life. They felt that is a tragic hashpala. It's a tragic degradation of the richness of life, of the spiritual life. For Amru al-Eretz Yisrael, what was the term they used for the Holy for Eretz Yisrael? They came back and they said, it's a land that consumes its inhabitants. Eichelis means it eats up, it, it obliterates its inhabitants. What are the Miraglim saying? They were thinking, if you could create Lamata down here, the same the same revelation of infinity like above, then earth can't coexist with this. Earth has to be obliterated. The Miraglim said you have to decide what you want. Earth is a contradiction to heaven. Gashmis is a contradiction to Ruchnius. It's going to eat them up in one way or another. They wanted to remain in the desert. Now let's explain what the Balatanya is teaching here. The Velt, everybody learns, the problem of the Miraglim was fear of failure. That's what it seems like. They were frightened to die, they and their wives and their children. They come into a land, they find 31 kings, 31 empires. They said they're mighty, mighty people, giants, strong fortified cities with towers, with armies. There's no way we Jews are going to be able to defeat them. No way, it's not going to happen. Eretz Eichelis Yeshva, it's going to kill us. We're going into the lion's mouth, that's what we're doing. It's a suicide mission, yeah? What do we need this for? That's their time. And they describe... We saw the giants, we saw the walls, we saw the cities, we saw what's happening, we saw Amalek, we saw the Chittim, we saw the Knanim. You're dealing with empire after empire, fortified cities, very powerful civilization. There's no way we band of slaves are going to be victorious. Basically what's going to happen is every last Jew will be decimated. So we don't want to go in. That's their time. They're simply more powerful than us. That was the psychology. And you could explain it and say that when people believe they're going to fail, they fail. They really can't do it. Which is how the Rambam in Mary Nebuchim explains why they stayed in the desert for 40 years. He says it wasn't a punishment. Like all punishments in Torah, they're not really punishments. They're consequences. Basically, if you believe you can't do it, you can't do it. What do they say? Whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. (laughs) You're right. If you believe you can't, you really can't. It's impossible. 
If you believe that you're going to be defeated, you're not going to be successful, you will never get this done, you cannot get it done. So therefore, Hashem says, you guys can't go in. So the Rambam says, is you got to you uh, uh, man up. Man up. You have to develop yourself. And the Rambam says in Mayur Nevuchim that people live in deserts for many years. They learn the skills of survival and they become warriors. The problem is, is that they were slaves. They were not used to independence. They didn't know what freedom is. You know, people who come out of prison, the adjustment to real life is difficult. There's a huge amount of suicides. People in prison for 20 years, 25 years, 35 years. You know, and then suddenly you come out. You, what are you supposed to do with freedom? What do you do? So you're allowed to cross a street on your own? Yeah, a lot of people want to go back. Jews were really slaves. They were beaten. They were downtrodden. They were dejected. Suddenly they have to become conquerors. They're going to create a nation for themselves. They're going to take care of themselves. They're going to forge their own destiny under God. This was a frightening ideal. The Rambam believes that the being in the desert was simply a consequence of their psychological condition. And even they themselves would never be able to make it. And only their children born in freedom, would be able to develop nationhood. That's the perspective of the Rambam. There are many other perspectives, but the common denominator of all of them is that it was fear of failure that was driving their mission. <laughs> this is what drove their hysteria. The Chiddush here of the Alter Rebbe, the Baltanya Lakut and Torah is that what the spies feared most was not failure. What they feared most was success. They feared success. That's a different type of fear. <laughs> Fear of failure, there's therapy for. Fear of success is very difficult because it's a whole different type of parsha. What they feared is that they will do a good job. They will settle the land. They will conquer the land. And this, of course, answers the biggest question that's very hard to answer. How can Jews who have seen the exodus of Egypt and who have seen miracles day in, day out, doubt that if God is sending them into Eretz Yisrael, they'll be successful. Remember, this is not a generation that heard the story of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim 3,000 years ago. Not a generation that had to come to basics of Amuna classes and say, how do you know Torah is true? How do you know we came out of Egypt? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know Moshe Rabbeinu lived? Right? That generation, they didn't have basics of Amuna classes. They saw, they were there. They, they were the nation. They experienced it. Okay. It was a whole different experience. Their daily, beha- their daily life was supernatural. Their breakfast, lunch, dinner, how they slept, how they ate, how they drank, everything was supernatural. Suddenly here, it's like, no, can't happen. The biggest parallel is the Gemara says in Saitul Amadala, the Pasuk says in Shlach, Ki humimenu. they said that the people in Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, are more powerful than he. Who's he? So the Gemara says, or actually brings it, they meant Hashem. Even the master of the world doesn't have control. How do the Miracles speak like this? What happened suddenly? You just ate manna this morning for breakfast, right? You last the Miracle, in the middle of your speech, I saw you took a drink of water. Where did you get this water from? There's no springs here in the desert. They'll say, oh, we have this well that comes with us. This rock that walks with us. Really? And how do you get through the sea? Oh, it's split. This is all that generation. A year later, it didn't happen 90 years later, 100 years later. It happened the next year after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. 
So what's Pshat Afilu Balabayas and Yachal Oitzikelov? This is what the Alter Rebbe is teaching here, that the Meraglim actually were very spiritual people. And that's what they were afraid of. They were afraid of Judaism being swallowed up and destroyed by the physicality of life. And let's understand, they had a good point. They were making a good point. Think of their lives the way it was in the desert. Their lives in the desert was basically one utopia of spiritual intimacy with God. No worries, no tuition, no mortgage, no physical stress, no bills to pay, nothing. Everything was taken care of. Food, home, board, room, board, even laundry was taken care of. They didn't even have to go to the bathroom, for heaven's sake. Who is their teacher? Their teacher is Moshe. Their teacher is Aaron. They're experiencing God's presence. They're living in the most spiritual, ideal environment and society possible. Away from the world. Literally in clouds. Physical clouds and spirit. They're living in the clouds. They're on a honeymoon with God. You've got to be crazy to leave this. They told the Jews, you've got to be crazy. You have the best possible life in the world. Bestoit Meshuggah. Huh? Now you want to understand the other way. <laughs> now you say, so why did Yeshua want to go with Teretz Yisrael? Well, you can ask a better question. Why did God want them to go in? <laughs> what, was, what was Hashem's position? Doesn't it make sense? That's why he says, They were spiritual people. They were sensitive people. This is a land that eats people up. This is a shark land. People become sharks. You're going to become entrepreneurs. You know what politics is. You know what the army is like. People are sharks. They become narcissistic, self-centered, material, egomaniacs. They're going to settle the land. They're going to build a country. Right? And in that success... They're going to lose their humanity and lose their Jewishness. That's the vart. And they said, what, what, what could God do here? God made the physical world. You want me to live in a spiritual world to have no problem. But you can't have it both ways. You tell me, go into the land, and that's the ultimate purpose. And why is this the ultimate purpose? This is what bothered them. Coming into the earth, and dealing with all of the darkness that the physical life creates, and a physical country creates, and the nation is going to have to create, what do you need it for? And the Miraglim saw a future, and they understood the great perils and the great challenges. They said they don't want it. It's a chelus yeshva. Now if you want, they said, if the ain't soif will be revealed down here, Fine, but it won't be down here anymore. It's going to become a new desert. It's going to become Eretz Echelis Yishveh in the positive sense. If you want Ein Soif down here, you can't have a physical world. You can't have the cake and eat it too. Either we're living in the Holy of Holies, or we're living in a real world. God, decide what you want. Don't tell me I'm going to live in the real world in the Holy of Holies. It doesn't work that way. Either we're in the world of Nisim or the world of Teva. This explains... They didn't doubt the miracles. They didn't know about Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. They experienced it a few months ago. They didn't doubt the miracles. But they said, you can't be schizophrenic. If Hashem wants to make miracles, I know He can make miracles. But He's sending me into the land in order to live according to nature. If you're living according to nature, you've got to play by the rules. You can't have it both ways. 
If Hashem tells me there's no rules, I'm running this domain, I'm running this company, fine. We'll sit and learn all day. But you want me to play by the rules. You're telling me I have to go in and I have to plant and I have to harvest and I have to reap and I have to create a society and there's going to be poor people and rich people and I have to create an army. Fine. There's rules, there's rules. The sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening. You can't have it the other way around. Why did it start crying? Um, why did God punish them so hardly? The Maraglim, they were so. They only meant good. Maybe they didn't ask their opinion. They only asked them to. Give me, That's why they. Give me a report. They made a big mistake. We'll soon see what their mistake was. But it's they, the mistake was a big mistake. And the sin was a big sin. Fakert. It was even a bigger sin because it was so holy. <laughs> but that's the point. But you have to understand that there was a deep sin. There are sins and there are sins. Take another Vanaviyu, right? Another Vanaviyu also sinned and they died. The Rechaim says, what was their sin? They wanted to kiss Hashem. <laughs> so the Rechaim says, Parshas Achirimois. They wanted to kiss God. The problem is when you kiss God, you expire, you burn up. Yeah. So there are different types of sins in the world. There's, let's call them ugly sins and holy sins. They're sins, but they're holy. It was a Yid who once came to the Kotzke Rebbe. He was a maskil, he was enlightened. And he said he doesn't understand why we read Chumash. He says they don't stop rebelling. Take a, take a look, Parshas Baalois. Yeah? Every few psukim is another mutiny, another day. Yet the Montek and Donnerstek, every time we say Vurachim, they made a revolt. Can you imagine? That's why they don't say Tachanan here. Every time, every time there's Chiyas HaTayra, another revolt. They didn't stop. We spoke Sunday, and Misoyinim, and the Slav, and Miriam, the non-stop, and then you have the Meraglim, and Koyrech, and the snakes, and the water, non-stop complaining. Huh? You say they were bored, they were bored. It's like certain, certain Jews in certain places, another demonstration, let's make another demonstration. What are we doing today, another demonstration? I hear I hear this was their sport. Okay. So he says, what are we learning these stories for? They were a bunch of troublemakers. So the Kotzke Rebbe told them, Avart, I'll say it in Yiddish and then I'll translate. He says, Rebid, von Zeyere Avedis, hat er Eberste gemacht a Teure. Von deine Mitzvahs wird er kein Teure nicht machen. Their sins make up the whole Teure. Your Mitzvahs won't make up a Teure. Our Torah, our blueprint for life is written from their sins, from their stories. Parsha Shlach is the story of the Maram. Their stories become God's blueprint for life. He says, your mitzvahs are not going to be a blueprint for life. In other words, it was his sharp way, vintage Kotzkerebah, of saying, relax. There are sins and there are sins. Doesn't mean it's not a sin. Doesn't mean it's not a terrible sin. Doesn't mean it's not a catastrophic mistake. What it does mean is that there is a profound perspective that guides it. And what we gain from this, of course, is besides understanding the story in a deeper way, is seeing the relevance of the story. <coughs> the mistake of the Miraglim is not a small mistake. It's a mistake made not by small people, but by big people. You understand? And there could still be a mistake. Sometimes we have a problem in the Jewish world to understand that a person who's prominent could make a mistake. Sometimes prominent people make the biggest mistakes because they're big people. A, a petty person makes petty mistakes. A big person makes big mistakes. 
and the mistakes could come from idealistic considerations. Because, like in this case, they want to be close to God. That's why they're doing it. It's coming because of Kiruv Hashem. But it doesn't mean it's what God wants. You have a big sight. Sometimes, what looks like closeness to God is a revolt against God. Because it's not what Hashem wants. You have to know that. You have to know that. And throughout Jewish history, this will happen again and again. People will scream, I want to be close to God! 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 Hashem! 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 It's a merida in Hashem what you're doing. He doesn't want you to... Not because you don't have... You may have good intentions. You may be, be idealistic. You're not stama, behema, lowlife, uh, whatever it is. Which also, interessant. So I heard from the Rebbe once. Interessant The source of minion. How do we know a minion is ten Jews? How do we know? So the Gemara says in Megillah from the Miragna. <laughs> Hashem says to Moshe, Ad Mosai Le'eda Hazois. How long will we be dealing with this evil Ada? Now we know that an Ada is basically ten people. That's what we learned. Because the Miraglim were ten people. So we learned that Ada is ten. It says, I will be sanctified among Jews. But how many? So it says in Kairach, An Ada is called Toich. How much is an Ada? From the Miraglim we learn 10, because it was 10 spies. So from the Miraglim we learn that when you want to say Kedusha, you need 10 Jews, Kriya 10 Jews, Baruch 10 Jews, Amin Yesh 10 Jews, Aminyan 10 Jews, No Davosh HaBikdusha Pachas Me'asar. Peladikazach. The Miraglim were the quintessential rebellious ones against God. From them, you learn a minion. <laughs> What's a minion? A davish to be mekadesh Hashem. It's a funny thing. So some say, okay, it's technical, Ada Ada. But it's an interesting thing that the whole source of a minion to be mekadesh Hashem comes from the Miraglam. But the pshat is that the Miraglam were looking to say, they were looking for Nagdishach. They were looking for Aminyesh Merah, but that's the word. The Miraglam were looking to be holy. The problem is, God doesn't want you to be holy. God wants you to change the world. That's the problem. Sometimes he says, You have to put away your talus and tefillin, you have to go change the world. Huh? Yeah, and transform it. Transform it. Then there's the opposite challenge. The opposite challenge is you could fall into the mud and lose your holiness. But the Nekud is that the Miraglim have a very profound idea. They're looking for a Dover Shebekdusha. They don't want to stop davening. They don't want to stop learning. They don't want to stop saying Baruchu. Vazdaf to us. What do you need this for? Huh? Stay in a cocoon. Stay in a very spiritual environment. This is not, this is a big taina. This is a hush of a taina. But it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Why was it a mistake? Not because there's no such a taina. The taina is a good taina. It was a mistake to define this as the destiny of Kalal Yisrael. And there's always Jews who have to remain in a desert. There's always a group of Jews, in order to sustain everybody else, they have to remain in a desert. There are those Jews. Later we will see that there will be two and a half Shvatim who will settle in the Transjordan. They like to spend time with their animals, their sheep. Moshe was first very upset. He compared them to the Miragla. 
But then when they agreed to go fight, he saw it wasn't coming out of the fact that they didn't agree there should be Eretz Yisrael. They just felt they have another mission, and Moshe embraced it. But the Miraglim wanted to reshape the destiny of the Jewish people. Svasemis writes, it says in Zohar, that the reason the Miraglim didn't want to go into Eretz Yisrael is, Miraglim said, this is what the Zohar says, here we're leaders. The moment we come into the new land, there's going to be new elections. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to lose, we're going to lose our position. We're going to lose our position. Now we're leaders. Over there we're going to be kaplushmachas. Someone says, it's a peladic thing. They didn't know God is in control. They died. At the end of, they ended up dying, the miracle. Someone says, very gishmak. He says, people don't understand how to read, how to learn Zohar or B'chlal. They think, the Zohar says, they want to be leaders. Everybody looks at it like themselves. They were egomaniacs. He says, no, it meant something else. It meant, he said, the Zoya says in Eitzel, we would we, here we're Pchinus Roshim, we're Rosh, and there we're going to be Pchinus Raglayim. We're going to be tails, we won't be as. He says, what it meant is, in the Midbar, we, all of us, operate on a level of a head. In Eitzel, we will be degraded to the level of a foot. In other words, we will be depleted from all the chios, from all the consciousness, all the energy that we have in Eitzel, that we have here in the Midbar. That was the time. In the Lashon of this Maimer, they didn't want to deal with the Choshech. They didn't want to deal with the Skafis Who wants it? Who needs it? They didn't want the seed to go into the earth. Practically, they didn't want to deal with Mitzvah's Maisius, with Eretz Yisrael and everything it brings. Even in Mitzvah's, as he's going to say, they wanted to deal with Dibur, with Machshava, not with Maisa. Because Maisa is always about physicality. And whenever you're dealing with physicality, they said it's one or two extremes. Either a chelis yoshva, you get destroyed, or the other way around, if you transform the physical, it's not physical anymore. It's ain't so, if we'll take over, fine, so turn it into Ganadin. So take me to Ganadin. So you want me to come into this world and make it Ganadin. Vazvilstu. You can't have it both ways. You can't send me into the world and then tell me there's going to be Gilu Yain Saif Baruchon, it's going to be Lamata. If it's Lamata, it's not ain't Saif. If it's ain't Saif, it's not Lamata. This was their time. We'll continue to see what was their mistake. Why Yeshua and Kalev screamed that they're making a mistake. And of course, Yeshua and Kalev were correct at the end of the day. Okay, so we're going to continue today here inside. We're holding page 73, or Lamed Zion, the first column on top, it should say Shlach. One, two, three, four, four lines from the top. To summarize literally in a few sentences, what we discovered yesterday, the Balatanya explains that despite the fact that the Miragla made a terrible mistake, as he's going to go on today and explain exactly the nature of the mistake, one has to understand that they were not just lowly human beings who wanted to rebel, and even though Hashem said, go into the Holy Land, they said, no, we don't want to. But rather, as he put it, the Madraglim Hoyuba Madrega Gavoya Ma'oit. They were in a very lofty level, a very lofty Madrega. And their uh, stubbornness, their refusal to enter into the land, came from idealistic considerations, not from simply uh, lowly considerations. Doesn't mean it wasn't a mistake. It could be a mistake, but it was idealistic. Idealistic in the sense that they craved the world of the spirit. And because they craved intimacy with the world of the spirit, so therefore they feared going into a situation where 
the spirituality of Judaism and the Jewish people would be decimated from their perspective. And the reason it would be decimated, it would be destroyed is because the lifestyle was completely different. The lifestyle of the desert was literally a utopian life in a cocoon, a heavenly life, literally. They didn't even have to go to the bathroom to that extent. They were like angelic. They had the best teachers in the world, the best teacher in the world. They had the revelation of the divine presence. So it was literally messianic. It couldn't get better. All their physical needs were provided for. No stress, no anxiety, euphoric existence, spiritually, materially. They're living in the clouds, pun intended, right? You say the Schassen and Kala are living in the clouds. They were living in the clouds. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't just an imaginary honeymoon. They were living in the clouds physically, and they were living in the clouds conceptually. All snakes and scorpions, hazardous creatures were dealt with. The food was, the diet was orchestrated by the greatest nutritionist in history, the one who created the laws of nutrition, right? Who sent down breakfast, you know, those lunches that you order that uh, are nutritious, you know, you pay whatever it is and you get the food at your door. Literally, they got food at the door. And what type of food? Heavenly food that the Gemara says in Yuma, aimed by Psylus. Meal replacements, ultimately. Meal, meal replacements. Meal replacements, exactly, which they got upset about, ultimately, because there's nothing like a meal. <laughs> there's nothing like a good meal. Stop with the powders and tell me that there's protein here. Ad, ad Mashiach. I don't need your protein. I just need the food. I want to see the food. But the point is that um, I mean, you're dealing with a situation where man has reached a state where communion with Hashem was the most natural reality and the most powerful reality. And you have, in your presence, you have Moshe, and you have Aaron, and you have Miriam, people of that caliber. Where are you going to get a Moshe Rabbeinu? Atkadekach, if you want to take it a step further, the Arizal had a student, Reb Chaim Vital. Reb Chaim Vital is his Talmud Muvik who transcribes all of his teachings. Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, passes away in 1572, Shin Lamed Beis, on Hei Avin He was there only for two years. But those two years, he revolutionized the landscape of Torah San He died very young, at the age of 36 approximately. His primary student was Reb Chaim Vital, who transcribed most of his teachings. And Arizal trusted him with it. Reb Chaim Vital had a son, his name was Reb Shmuel Vital. Shmuel Vital did something courageous. Reb Chaim Vital had all of his writings buried with him after his death. Reb Shmuel Vital undug his father's grave and he took out the writings. That's why you have the writings of the Arizal. Shmuel Vital published the writings with notes. Amar Shmuel. He has footnotes, Amar Shmuel. In Lakuta Torah, the first Lakuta Torah is from the Arizal. It's called Lakuta Torah. Parsha Shlach, when you'll see in Lakuta Torah, sometimes Dalta Rebbe will say, Kemavur Belakuta Torah, means the Arizal's Lakuta Torah, the original Lakuta Torah. So, the Arizal's Lakuta Torah, Parsha's Baloischa, Parsha Shlach, he brings a Peladika thing, and Shmuel Vital brings even a more Peladika footnote. It says as follows At the end of Parsha's Baloischa, you have the strange story that Miriam started to speak about with Aaron about their brother. Miriam went to Aaron and started to speak about what did he say. All we know is that he spoke about the marriage, which we can all imagine the reality. One sister calls a brother. Did you hear what's going on by, uh, by his? 
What she said about the wife, we don't know. That's a different interpretation. It just says, She spoke about his marriage. Which is, of course, in Jewish families, or Bechlau families, one brother speaks to another sibling, one sister speaks to a brother about somebody else's marriage. Something was not sitting well with them. Rashi has one interpretation, there's different interpretations. What happens? Miriam says, I don't understand. Hashem only spoke to him, Hashem also spoke to us. Hashem reveals himself and he's very upset. something unique. Miriam becomes a Mitzirah, a leper, and then she heals. It's a very, it's a difficult story to understand because the context is missing. Vu, vaz, ven, wasepis now. Rashi says it has to do with Moshe's separation of Tzipayr. Other Mepharshim give different interpretations. Arizal brings an interpretation that this comes in continuation to the previous story. Eldad and Medad were prophesizing. Suddenly, Yeshua got very upset about their prophecy. Adoni Moshe claim imprisoned them. What was he so upset about? So Rashi says that they prophesied. Moshe is going to die and Yeshua Joshua is going to take the Jews into the Holy Land. The Rizal brings that the word Misnabim is an acronym of Moshe, Tanuach, Nafshai, Began Eden, Eretz Yisrael, Yeshua Machnas. Elder made that Misnabim, Bamachana, they prophesize in the word Misnabim you have the content of their prophecy. From memory I'm saying, but something like that. Maybe one or two off, but more or less that mahalach. Yeshua was alarmed. They saying that he's going to die, that Moshe is going to die, he's going to take over. He's alarmed. Remember, this is a year after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not 40 years later. Moshe is expecting to go in. This is before the story of the spies, everything. The Rizal says that Miriam and Aaron heard this Nevoah, and they knew that Elden and Medad were authentic prophets. So Miriam speaks to Aaron, what happened here? Why is Aaron going to die? Why is Moshe going to die? What did he do? And she's looking and looking, and they decide maybe Oydis Isha Hakushis Asher Lakach. The Medrash says that on the way to Midian, he ran away to Ethiopia. Remember, there's a discrepancy in years, because Moshe grew up, he goes out, he beats the Egyptian, he kills him, and he runs away to Midian. What, how old is he? 15, 16, 18, 20. He comes back to confront Pari. He's 80 years old. So the 60, 70 years that we're missing here, and the, what did he do for 60 years? What did he do for 60 years? It's not clear. Was he a Midian all the time? So there's different interpretations. And one of the days he ran to Ethiopia, and he was there, and he was successful, and he rose the ranks, and he became a Melech. And then he went to Midian, and he got married, and then he came back to Mitzrayim. In Ethiopia, he married a woman, Isha Kushas. So they thought perhaps this woman never converted to Judaism. It wasn't like Tzipira. This was a blemish in Moshe's life. It says that Yaakov was interred in Eretz Yisrael. Yosef, only his bones were interred in Eretz Yisrael. Why only his bones? Why his bones, not his body? Because he was interred years later. The answer is because what happened with the wife of Petifa, the Gemara says in Saita, that he surrendered. Level, relative to Yosef's level, there was some experience of a descent in Yosef as a result of his interaction with wife. But even at the end, he ran away. But at least his bones went into Eretz Yisrael. Moshe, because he actually married this woman, so therefore he was degraded and he can't even go into Eretz Yisrael. That's what Miriam was suggesting to Aaron. Why would Moshe not go into Eretz Yisrael? 
Then Miriam said, maybe it's because of his level of nevuah. Maybe his level of nevuah doesn't belong in Eretz Yisrael. But we, God speaks to us also. We're going into Eretz Yisrael. So Hashem reveals himself to Miriam and Aaron, and he says, you don't understand who Moshe is. Neda Rizal says something very intense. Moshe is Pnei Chama. The Gemara says in Baba Basra, Pnei Moshe ke Pnei Chama. The face of Moshe is the face of the sun. Pnei Yeshua ke Pnei Levana. The face is Yeshua, the face of the moon. Eretz Yisrael belongs to Yeshua because Eretz Yisrael is the Pchina of the moon, Pnei Levana. Eretz Yisrael is Pnei Levana, the Pchina of the moon. Eretz Yisrael is also called Malchus, femininity. Eretz Yisrael is the moon. The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, we learned it also. The sun never saw the moon blemish, the, the blemish of the moon. Meaning, whenever the sun faces the moon, the moon is lit up. So the sun never sees the the flaws, the the vices, huh? The darkness. By definition, the part of the moon that the sun sees is bright. <laughs> for obvious reasons, for obvious reasons, yeah. So the sun never experiences the degradation, the shame of the moon. And Rabbi Yechina says it's because the moon should not feel disheartened. Says Darizal, this is very, very intense stuff, based on a Zoyar. Moshe couldn't go into Eretz Yisrael because Moshe is the sun. And Eretz Yisrael is the moon. And if the sun shows up during the presence of the moon, it would embarrass the moon. Imagine the middle of the night, the moon is running the show, and suddenly, yeah? The moon is, uh, you know, sent into retirement. That's what happens in the morning. The sun comes up, boom! You're done. You're finished. As long as the sun, the sun is absent, the moon is whoo, romance, sunlight, poetry, it's gewaldic. The moment the sun shows up, boom. What does a candle accomplish in midday light? Light a candle. Thick as chametz, half dull, you shut the lights, you light a candle. Beautiful candle, so nice. In the middle of the day, light a candle. It's worthless. Moshe doesn't go into Eretz Yisrael because the sun does not want to embarrass the moon. The light of Moshe would eclipse the light of Eretz Yisrael. The light of Moshe would eclipse the light of Eretz Yisrael. When could Moshe come into Eretz Yisrael? Only when when there won't be anymore, when the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun, then when Eretz Yisrael will be sublimated to the beginning of Moshe, Moshe go into Eretz Yisrael. That's what Hashem explained to Miriam and Aaron. You don't understand who Moshe is. He's not the moon, he's the sun. All the Nevi'im are in the beginning of the moon. They reflect the light. He is the light. He's the source of the light. Because he's the source of light, he can't go on to A whole different explanation. This is before the Maisa with the rock and everything. That's the reason, nothing to do with the Isha Kushas. Says the Arizal, says this is what the Arizal says. Shmuel Vital says, I want to make a footnote. This my father heard from the Arizal. I want to make a footnote. The Miraglim also heard the Nevoah. 
Elder and Medad said Moshe is going to die. The spies also knew it. Miriam knew it. They knew it. And they knew it's true. They thought to themselves, we're going to go in. We're going to come back. We're going to give a glorious report, guys. We're taking this over in an hour. You know, Six-day war. We don't need six days. We need six hours. We'll bomb the Egyptian and Amalek's Air Force, and we're done. Okay, six hours. We don't even need six days. They'll come back. What happens? Moshe passes away. And Yeshua takes everybody into Yisrael. And then Shmuel Vital says they loved Moshe Rabbeinu too much to let him go. So they decided to have Messiah Snefesh and rebel against God. So that God say, you don't deserve Eretz Yisrael, they'll stay in the desert and Moshe is going to stay alive. And Shmuel Vital says, and you know what? They were successful. They kept Moshe for another 40 years. The Jewish people had Moshe for another 40 years because of them. So he says they were sinners. <laughs> but you should understand that their Ava to Moshe Rabbeinu was such that they were ready to rebel and destroy the whole plan and the destiny of the Jewish people because they couldn't tolerate the fact that Moshe is going to leave the world. That's how deeply connected they were to him. This is a whole other layer of interpretation. Again, this doesn't mean it wasn't a mistake. It doesn't mean it wasn't a sin. It doesn't mean it wasn't a terrible mistake. But a holy sin. But as we said, there are sins and there are sins. There's not even Aviyu sinning, right? And then there are some other people that sin, you know? It's not the same. We call them both Avedas, but it's not the same. Now somebody said yesterday that all these interpretations are cute. When you read the Psukim, they just don't add up. The Meraglim was scared with it. So the Balatanya is explaining yet in a much deeper way. It's not just the personal love to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a connection to very deep spirituality that they didn't want to leave. So the Meraglim were not afraid of failure. As we said, they were afraid of success. They knew they'll be successful. And they'll settle the land perfectly. And that was what bothered them. What bothered them is that we're going to become a successful nation. And as we become a successful nation, we're going to lose our touch. We're going to become basically bureaucrats and politicians. That's what happens when you run a country. Bureaucrats, politicians. We'll have people in jail. We'll have corruption. Fake news news and all the good things. (laughs) Basically, everything that comes with the world of politics, the Bishnah says in Pekiyavis, have a zihirin berushus. Be careful when you deal with politicians, when you deal with diplomats. Whereas Henry Kissinger put it, the definition of a diplomat, and he knew what a diplomat is. He tells you to go to hell, but he makes you look forward to the journey. <laughs> this is his Lashayna, this is his Lashayna. It's a word in the dictionary. He sends you to purgatory, but he makes you look forward to the journey. And it's wonderful. You go out, you got a picture with him, you put it in the newspaper, you feel good, he did his job, but nothing to do with truth. It eats up people. It's a land that eats up people. It eats up people in both ways. Either it eats up, it it destroys the core, right? It basically, you you lose your conscience, you lose your soul in the process. There are certain people that had souls. But then they go into certain organizations or institutions and they become an institution. There's no person anymore. Right? There's certain leaders even. When they were young, they were idealistic. When they took the job, they wanted to change the world. But then your position defines you instead of you define your position. And suddenly you realize that the Gabbai runs the show. You don't run the show anymore. Right? You know the Vart of the Gary Rebbe? I think the Beis Yisrael, he said... He says, we say in Hallel, what do we say in Hallel? Uh, 
Uh, I'm a Sidurim. The are also gone already. The basis saw said a sharf of art. He said as a. We say Chabbos morning, a lot of the Nuschayis. It's, it's from Tehillim, Tehillim Kuflamad Hey. Beis Yisrael, Baruch Hashem, the house of Israel. Beis Aaron, Baruch Hashem, the house of Aaron, bless God. Beis HaLevi, Baruch Hashem, the house of Levi. Yirei Hashem, Baruch Hashem. What happened to Beis? Aaron has a whole house, a house. HaLevi has a whole house. Yirei Hashem, Beis Yirei Hashem. He says, bias represents, you know, the Gansa Hoif. He says, Yirei Hashem Habanish Ken Hoif. The Bayez, the whole house, the whole entourage, he says, it's a, what happens? What happens is, the person becomes defined by the job instead of defining the job. It becomes more powerful than you. You almost do things not because this is what's right. You do things because this is what we have to do. We have no choice. We have to keep the Olam uh, in check. It's a different experience. I once heard from Rabbi Beryl Wine, I think I said it here once, that uh, he uh, he was once in the office of the chief rabbinate in, in Hechel Shloyma, in, uh, in Yerushalayim, you know where that is, on King George. So uh, it was Friday, around uh, quarter to twelve, uh, ten to twelve, five to twelve, a soldier comes running into the office out of breath, because he's been running from the bus station or wherever he was running to Hamamar Kazit, He's out of breath. And he turns to the clerk and he says he needs to get registered to get married. The guy says, we're closed. We're closed. He says, it says that you close at 12. It's not 12 yet. He says, no, at 12 I'm already out the door. At 12, it's already after. We closed before. At 12, it's already done. He says, listen, I'm in the army. I got off, yeah, just for the weekend. I'm getting married on Sunday. I need this. I won't be able to get married. I'm going back to the army. I got off specially to get married, just to get married. You got to do this for me. So the guy, typical fashion of some people, Why don't you think about me? You you should have come earlier. He said, I just got off now and I ran, I ran, I ran, I made it. Just help me out. This is a chutzpah, you're selfish, you're narcissistic, I'm working hard, I have to go home, I also have shot, not only you. He's screaming at him. And the soldier starts crying. So the chief rabbi, chief rabbi hears a commotion, he comes out of the office. He says, what's happening? The soldier tells him what's happening. So the rabbi commands the clerk, he says, do it! So he starts screaming at the rabbi. <laughs> he starts screaming at him. You don't I run this show here. You know? I'm this, I run this show. And he said the rabbi himself had to do all the paperwork. The guy refused. He's going home. <laughs> he had to do all the paperwork. He did it. Everything was taken care of. But you understand? Now what type of love is this soldier going to have to Shabbos, to Judaism, and to religious Jews? Remember that. People say about chiloinim, 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 chiloinim. With one, if he would have told the soldier, thank you for what you do for us, it would be an honor and a pleasure to help you. And it's going to take him around seven minutes. He's going to get home seven minutes later, and it's before 12. Yeah? He could have transformed a life, touched a life. But because of his own spiritual narcissism, and he even thinks he's religious, so he alienates a Jew maybe forever. 
because it's a secular soldier. He wasn't going to grow up. So what's his feeling now about Torah, Mitzvah, Shabbos? You're making demonstrations, right, against people that you alienated because of your obnoxious behavior, and you don't know how to embrace people because you don't have that relationship with God. So what happens often is that people start working for the system. The system has to be maintained. You're not anymore in touch with anything. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't a system guy. It didn't work that way. The Miraglam understood all this. This is part of bureaucracy. So actually, they were speaking from a very sensitive place. That's a very profound idea. Rav Shmuel Vital says even it was a love to Moshe Rabbeinu. But in all these interpretations, you have the common denominator. They wanted the world of the Midbar. That's what they wanted. Okay, now let's go further inside. Why did she become a Mitzvah? Miriam? What was the I mean, I'll be. I mean, I'll be this interpretation. You're saying. We learned in Lakut Torah Tazria that Saras doesn't exist today, because Saras was a great compliment. It basically meant that all your toxicity was spit out. Well, the Rebbe says for us, the toxicity has nice place inside, so we don't become a Tzara. We don't become a Mitzrayim. We look perfect, because <laughs> inside, but somebody who's really perfect, they don't look perfect. Remember, people who look perfect are dangerous. You know why? Because all the corruption is inside. People who don't look perfect, you could trust. They're human. You know what I mean? It comes out. You know what I mean? Huh? That's how it. That's how it is. Yeah, yeah. Always perfect. Always perfect. So there's a chiddush attached. Kol sa'orve chaldvash. Nisht zu zis and nisht zu zayerdik. Some people are very, very sweet. They're very sweet. People are very sour. Kol sa'orve chaldvash leisaktidim. Don't get too sweet on me and don't get too sour on me. Always sweet, they're always sweet. <laughs> Zoyer take, sourdough, yeast, Zoyer take, yeah, that's how they translate it? yeah, you remember that word? Sourdough. Don't bring me a car, but don't become sour on me and don't become sweet on me. Tzuzis and Tzuzoyer, people who are very sour, they're bitter, always bitter and angry and depressed and frustrated. They're always making machas. Always making machos. People, it's a <laughs> this is not social commentary on what's going on. This is commentary bechla. It's not uh, nothing to do with the gzeres agius there. On the human condition. On the human condition. Yeah. We know we grew up in this. It's every always machos. The whole Judaism is one big machos. If there's no protest, you can't live. If there's nobody that you could bury, it's not worth anything. There's somebody you have to bury, and then this chaldvash. You know, everything is sweet and perfect. They're both not living. In a relationship with with reality. Okay, so now, so we so tzaras. Remember, was a compliment. It wasn't. I mean, it was a negative thing. But loshen hara v'chulim. So now let's see. Vayten one, two, three, four. V'zel wa'ichelas yeshva. V'ratzuli is be'midba dafk. Where did they want to stay in the midba? Midba means a desert, but also midba comes from the word dibur. So he quotes the pasuk in Shirashidim, umidvarcha nava. Your word is beautiful. And he's hatching it there also, 
Midbarchas, your desert is beautiful. They want to remain in the world of Dibur, not the world of Maisi. Remember, most mitzvahs Maisiyas only happen in Eretz Yisrael. That's where you have Karbonus, and that's where you have all agricultural mitzvahs. In the Midbar, no agricultural mitzvahs. You have the Mon, is Lechem and Hashemayim. No Trumas with Maisis, with Bikurim, with Shmitis, with Matnas Kohun, etc. Lebchines Hadibur, Lebchines Malchus, Lebchines Eretz Yisrael Shalomayla. They want Eretz Yisrael, but they want the higher Eretz Yisrael. Remember, there's two Eretz Yisraels. There's Yerushalayim Shalmata, Yerushalayim Shalmayla. They don't want Shalmata. Shalmata, that's where the Lafa and the ice cream is, you know. They don't want that. They want Yerushalayim Shalmayla. But the young <laughs> no, I'm saying humorously. They want the spiritual land. They don't want the physical land. It's still called Eretz. To bring down a Lakus into Dibur is still bringing it down into Eretz. It's the lowest level, is lowest level of godliness. Malchus is still godliness. It's Hatzilus. Even more than this, it says, Hashem Hashem founded the earth with wisdom. So the Zoyar says, Abba Yosad Brata. The father is the one who creates the daughter. There's a special relationship between father and daughter, even more than father and son. We learned here, let us in the cave. Hashem Bechachme Yosad Eretz. Chachme is father. Eretz is daughter. There's a special relationship between Chachme, father, and Eretz, daughter. Pchines Hadibur. Brata, the mouth, yeah. the special association between words and femininity. Males don't know how to express themselves verbally. It's very hard for men to speak. It takes 20, 30 years of marriage therapy to get your husband to start talking. Women are natural communicators. They express emotions. Not always, but naturally, biologically, they express themselves. So dibur is associated with femininity. Malchus is peh, it's the mouth. It's communicativity. Men have a harder time communicating. We like sitting in the cave. We like hanging out in the cave. When you come home and your wife looks at you and says, how was your day? You look stressed. The worst thing a man can hear. Mm-hmm. You look stressed, right? And he, what he's thinking to himself is without processing it consciously is it's been hard enough to go through the day. Now you want me to talk about the day? It's enough that I had to go there. Now I have to talk about it? A woman's approach is the exact opposite. You went through a hard day, you asked have to talk about it. And not once. Once is just the Hagdama, the introduction. <laughs> you go through the day once with your sister. Then you call your second sister, you go to again. Then you call your mother. And then you call your girlfriend. And after six, seven, eight times, each time you giggle and you cry and everything, maybe, maybe the dust can settle. Maybe by Chatzos Halayla, hopefully you spit out everything, right? If you call your girlfriend. Huh? You call your girl. Okay, whoever it is. Okay, whatever, that's, I'm not going to get involved in the, in the local dynamics of each household. But the point is, is a special relationship between Dibur and Malchus and femininity. Abba and Brata, father and daughter. So he says, spiritually, it means, Dvar Hashem, Sheshar The word is always rooted in wisdom. Kinnidim and Marshal Latinic, you see by a child, Shekolzman, Shainle, Moichin, the Yenike, Bishlemos. Afo Pishayashle, Koil, Oisis, Pshutim. You have a child, he has a voice, and he could say, ah, ba, but he can't put together words. Why? Because what he's missing is what's called the level of intelligence that comes after nursing in a perfected manner. There's only a certain age when he starts talking. Understanding, he understands before. 
images he has before, voices he has before, he makes voices. But there's something about the dibur, the tziruf of Isis, to divide the coil into different alphabetic letters, and to configure letters according to his will, this ability is not there. Dibur has a special association with Chachma. You say you have everything up there also. You have the Beis HaMikdash spiritually, it's Israel spiritually. So yes, I understand that we want to bring in godliness to the world. I understand that the Ramach Mitzvahs, we said, are the limbs that acts as the brain. I got that. But take from the brain into Dibur. Into what do you need the Maisa? What do you need the physical terrain? Avol Yeshua v'kolov amru came in Yeshua and kolov and their expression in Parsha Shlach is toiva ha'aretz ma'oid ma'oid. Whenever it says ma'oid twice, it's not poshut. Ma'oid ma'oid, the land is good, very good, very very good. Ma'oid ma'oid, that was their response to the miraglim. Toiva ha'aretz ma'oid ma'oid. So this was the key. What they were saying. Only through Eretz Yisrael below, the way the mitzvahs come down into physical action, only that way can you access true infinity, which is what ma'oid represents, because ma'oid means infinity. Both in the concealed higher worlds and in the revealed lower worlds. Ma'oid means very. Your heart, your soul, and ma'oidecha. What's ma'oidecha? Ma'oidecha means with your veriness. What does that mean? Levavcha means heart. Nafshecha means soul. What means with your veriness? The pshat is, ah? With your being and beyond. Very. When you say very, it wasn't good. It was very good, right? It wasn't fun. It was extremely fun. Yeah. With, with your infinitude. With your with your with your infinitude. With going beyond your gvul, going beyond your capacity, running the extra mile. That's what ma'idecha means. Whatever that means. Somebody who's lifting ten pounds and he lifts fifteen pounds. That's his ma'idecha. Somebody who's lifting three hundred pounds, lifting fifteen pounds is not ma'idecha. That's a joke. It's like lifting a pin. For him, it's something else. Somebody who runs five miles, and now he's running six miles, it's Maidecha. Somebody who can't run up the steps without calling Hatzala. Right? So for him, going up the steps is already Maidecha. Maidecha varies because it's based not on what you're doing, but in what context you're doing it. For one person, this is Maidecha. For another person, it's laziness. But for this person, it's really Maidecha. Maidecha varies. It's not what you do. It's where you're coming from. It's a whole different experience. The Gemara says in Chagiga, You can't compare somebody who learns a hundred times to somebody who learns a hundred and one times. Why? The Gemara brings there a story, a marshal, that there were people who would rent out donkeys. You rent a donkey to go ten parsa, ten parsa, yeah, parsa is like four kilometers, ten parsa for one Zeus. Eleven parsa, Double the amount. That doesn't make sense. Ten miles, yeah? Ten miles is $100. Twenty miles should be $200. Eleven miles should be $110. The answer is because the donkey is used to going ten miles. The eleventh mile is harder than all the ten miles. You have to pay double. 
So the Abala Tanya says in Tanya, Pedic Tesvav, Zoisapam, Amea Vachas, Shkula Keneged Kulam, Voilamem, Biesa says, Biesa says. They used to learn, the Tanoim used to learn everything a hundred times. They would chaza a hundred times. Today people chaza twice, they already go crazy. But they chaza everything a hundred times. The hundred and one time is more powerful than the hundred times. When you work out, it's the same way. Exactly. That one that minute, push. that last push, is more valuable to cardio, whatever it is, weight loss, or whatever the situation, whatever the growth is physically or spiritually, emotionally, than the first hundred times. Even though you can't compare. Why? Because it was ma'idecha. And the diuk is ma'idecha. It's always about your ma'id, not about my ma'id. It's always easy to compare yourself to somebody else, right? Lagabi, other people, oh, you're the best. I once told somebody, you think it's honest what you're doing? He says, Lagabe Bernie Madoff, I'm very honest. <laughs> I said, that's pretty bad. If that's your, uh, you're this. <laughs> if that's your parameter, fine. So the Balshamt of Taitches doesn't say, It's easy for me to conquer your Yetzirah. You know why? I don't have your addictions. Conquer your own Yetzirah, not his Yetzirah. Every person compares himself to another, but you hear what he did? I would never do it. Of course, now let's see what you do. <laughs> what they said to the Miraglim is, you want to be close to God. And this is Yeshua and Kolov's revolutionary approach, which is really one of the great ideas of the Balatanya in all of his writings. If you want to be close to God, you've got to go change the world. You have to go back. That which you feel is the greatest danger is ultimately where ultimate truth lay. Not because it's not dangerous. They understood what the Miraglim said. Miraglim were not fools. The Miraglim were practical. And what happened to Jews in Israel? We know what happened. It wasn't so simple. There were times of glory and there were times of terrible descent. But what they were saying is, if you want ma'oid ma'oid, what's ma'oid? Ma'oid is ain't safe. The infinity of God, the bleak vul. Ultimately, you need to go into the land and the physical land, not the spiritual land. In the midbar, you have the spiritual artisro, but you need the physical artisro. Why? Those are the key words. Because the truth is that the main objective of Hashem was. To have a dear, a home in the lowest elements of reality. Kemayimid Azal, as the Medrash says, this is Medrash Tanchuma. Parshas Nasai, he speaks about the, when the Mishkan was put up. It says, Vayihi Bayoim Harishan. Who was Makriv Bayoim Harishan? Nachshab and Aminadu. Ask the Medrash, why Bayoim Harishan the first day? So he says, because when Hashem created the world, Nisava Lias Loidiri Betachtayna. He had a taiva. To have a dwelling place in the lowest elements of reality, in the physical world. And it didn't work out. When the Mishkan was put up, finally there's a dira betachtainim. It's called Bayoim Harishan. It's like the first day of creation. That's the Medrash. Kemayim Razal, Nisava Kadesh Baruch Aliyah, Sleidira Betachtainim. What's Pradira Betachtainim? Not a dira in the French Alps, the spiritual French Alps. But a dira in Tachtainim. Divinity should be revealed to the eyes of the flesh. The gili of Einsev should be lamata, just as it is lamayla. And va'adirabim much more. V'yesa says more than lamayla. Because whenever you transform darkness into light, 
the light is far more infinite than the light that comes from direct light. The Yisunar comes dafka through the Chayshah. So therefore the Gilu Lamata won't only be Kamay Lamayla, it'll be even more than Lamayla. It'll be even more than in the higher spiritual worlds. So therefore the Miraglim misunderstood was, you want to be holy, you want to be spiritual. But the whole purpose of creation was to change the world, to transform the landscape of darkness into light, to burst the bubble of materialism and reveal the infinity within an environment of darkness. That's the whole purpose. So when you say we want a utopia, we want a messianic desert where we will not be consumed by physicality, you're being very spiritual and you're being very holy. But essentially you're betraying the very objective of existence. The very objective of existence was not heaven. You want to go to heaven. But the objective of existence was to bring heaven down onto earth. Not to bring earth back to heaven. They said, what do you need earth? Let's go back to heaven. And essentially this debate continues throughout Jewish history. For the Miraglim, the whole objective is heaven. That's the objective. The objective is Ruchnius. That's it. Spirituality. And all Gashmius is at best a necessary tragedy. But it's not you can't do anything about it, so you have to do it, and hopefully you'll soon die and you go to heaven. And that's the whole approach. The approach to the world is that the world is essentially a bad place. That's essentially the objective. That's all propagating the idea of the spies. The idea of the spies is, the minute you could run away, run away. But what Yeshua and Kalav were saying is, Toivar, it's ma'id, ma'id. The true ain't safe, you'll only get betachtoinim. You know why? Because that was the whole Nisava Kaddish Baruch Hu. His ultimate purpose was that the gilui of the ain't safe should be lamata kamaylamayla. So therefore, don't run away from it. The tachlis is to go into Eretz Yisrael. The tachlis is to build a country. The tachlis is to go into the world of nature, even though it's a chelus and to reveal the light within the darkness, and that will allow you to touch Ein Soif more than anywhere else. Because of that confrontation, like we learned earlier, Kadiskafi Sitra Achira, the The earth that comes from the Choshech, the planting the seed in the earth, is a much greater oil than you'll have anywhere in the world because it's an oil that comes from the transformation, from the tension of the darkness. And the truth is the same is true in a human being's individual life, in a personal life. In your own life, you have two parts. You have heaven in you and you have earth in you. Some people do not want to engage the earth within them. They reject it. They want to be in their own midbar, their own cocoon. In your own life, you have el and tachtayna. You have the higher parts of you and you have the more base parts. And people often are afraid of their lowest parts. And what do they do? They either make believe it doesn't exist, they cut it off, they repress it, or they surrender to it and they become very cynical. But both approaches are inauthentic. In the first approach, you're not showing up to God with the totality of your being. You have to mutilate part of yourself. And the whole kavana was fakert. To be able to engage and to be able to find the harmony within the fragmentation, the unity within the divisiveness, the extraordinary within the ordinary, the soul within the body, 
the metaphysical within the physical, the heaven within the earth. That was the kavana. The kavana was not to escape it, to shun it, and even to transcend it. The kavana toiva ha'aretz ma'id ma'id. It's only when you'll enter into the domain of aretz and work with it, despite its challenges, despite its temptations, despite its potential disastrous results, where you're going to reach the ma'id ma'id of alakos. Only there. Because the sava kadosh baruch liyus leidav kadiri b'tachtena. They love Moshe Rabbeinu. They what? They love Moshe Rabbeinu. So, go into land. They love Your wife says, my brother is coming from Israel. Could you please pick him up in the airport? So you tell your wife, I need challah for Shabbos. Please go shopping. I love you too much. I can't leave the house. You understand? I love you, God. I can't leave. You understand the difference? You understand the difference? No question. No question. No question. Rabbeinu Menachem Azariah Fanu, the great Makuba Sarim Amoris. The Gemara says, You know what he says? They don't have a part in Oilam Haba, they're higher than it. They don't need it. <laughs> but the Ma'oid Ma'oid, you're not going to have. The Ma'oid Ma'oid is a different. Now, this doesn't mean it's not a challenge. It's a challenge. That's why they rebelled. They knew the challenge. A challenge it is. But this is the whole purpose of Yeridus and Hashama Lamata. There's no other purpose. The purpose is to transform the Tachtoinim and make a dear Eloyus Barak You could have a home in the, in, the, in the Swiss Alps. Yeah, you ever went there? Or you can have a home in a cesspool. You remember in camp? <laughs> I was in a camp the whole camp was one big cesspool and whenever it smelled they said it's a cesspool there was always the excuse especially when it rained and this. the whole thing was a sewer system imagine you have to choose where to live you can live in the Swiss Alps you're going to live in the cesspool spiritually that's what we're talking about living in Olam Silas is a beautiful life that's where divinity reigns this world is a cesspool it's full of sheker, it's full of politics, it's full of filth, it's full of dirt, moral filth, spiritual, it's filth on every level. In this heart, which is mortal, frail, and sometimes filthy, it's full of conflict, it's full of derision, it's full of depression, it's weak, it's transient, it's meshuga. that's where he wants you should make a didaf. And in order for him to make have a dira b'tachtoinim, the tachtoinim have to make the dira. Because if he makes the dira, it's not a dira b'tachtoinim. <laughs> the tachtoinim have to make the dira. And this is where the dira is. The dira is, this is where he wants to be. So now you say, but my heart is, I'm not interested. I'm a lowly person. I'm brute. I'm physical. Perfect. <laughs> You're great. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> if you were too angelic, then we're not interested. All the credentials. You have all the credentials. Now work with it. 
Now work with it. We have to make sure to stay low so we can have the deer Don't worry about that. You could go high if you want. Give the shows, Reb Menmo. We started with a sudden hit for Yaakov, the Rosh Hashanah gave the opportunity, and then we ended with the heinous that we bring back. Yeah, the heinous, yeah. He's not romanticizing filth. He's romanticizing the opportunity to introduce holiness there. Let's not distort the message. To put it in simple English, God does not want holy people doing holy things. He wants unholy people doing holy things. That means you don't show up with a part of you. You show up with all of you. You show up with all of you. That is where it's at. You don't show up with a part of you. You don't deny a part of you. Part of uh, religious psychosis, you'll forgive me, or neurosis is that people are not allowed to show up with all of them. They're not allowed to talk about certain parts of themselves. So what happens? There's no relationship. It's like half of your life you don't tell your spouse about. You have a whole other life. It happens. It's not a marriage. You can't talk about anything that's difficult, that's challenging. With God also, it doesn't exist. So there's basically two parts to me. What do I do with the second part? Either I destroy it. I don't really destroy it. I make believe it's destroyed. Or it takes me over one day. When you have that, even the part that it is, you are open with... It's not full. Of course, it's not full. Because it's not real. It's not real. It's too afraid of the other parts. So, so this is already in the person's life himself, does the concept of Dira yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the Miraglam's mistake. This was the Miraglam's mistake. It's a, different, a whole different... Uh... When Rabbi Soloveitchik, Rabbi Yashabai Soloveitchik, once came to Fabrengen of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Mem, the 30th anniversary of the yard set of his father-in-law. So Rabbi Yashabek came. He was supposed to come for 20 minutes. He stayed a few hours. So uh, I was a little kid. It was a very, uh, it was a moving sight. Huh? It's a video, yeah? It was a very moving sight. The Rebbe didn't sit down till he sat down. And when he left, the Rebbe stood up and waited till he stood up the whole It was very, it gave him a lot of respect. They knew each other from Berlin. So the Rebbe made in a hadrin, a siyum on four mesechtas. On all yard sites he would make a siyum on a mesechta. He made a siyum on four mesechtas. Brachas, Nazi, Yevomis, and Krisus. Krisus. Banayich. Roshetevis Banayich. Brachas, Nazi, Yevomis, Krisus. Soloveitchik was there. And uh, the two geniuses. And he was listening very intently. And uh, it was noticeable that the Rebbe was speaking a little bit of a different style than his <coughs> usual style. Like he was covering more ground in shorter words. It was a very long siyum on all four mesechtas. He said to Navart that uh, the four mesechtas, the, the siyum of the four mesechtas, they all end the same way. And everybody struggles why these four mesechtas. Uh, so the Rebbe explained the theme of the four mesechtas and he compared it. It was Parshas B'Shalach. It says in Mechilta that when the Jews came to the Yamsuf, they split up into four groups. How do we know? From Moshe's words to them. One group said, the Egyptians are here, the sea is here. Nippalayam, mass suicide. Let's jump into the sea. Another group said, surrender, let's go back to Egypt. Another group said, let's fight. Let's go down. We'll, we'll die, but we'll go down fighting. And another group said, let's daven. 
and they got into a major war. Right there, stuck between, uh, what is it called? Between the rock and the hard ball. <laughs> hard place. What does Moshe tell them? You listen to his response, he speaks to four different groups. Stop! Don't move! That was to the group that wanted to jump into the sea. The group that said, let's go back to Egypt. You're never going back. The group that said, let's fight. You stay put, God. The group that said, let's daven. Fascinating mechilte. You know that you hear a speech, it's not one speech, it's four speeches put together in a posikritu. Four different groups. So what, yeah, we don't jump into the sea, we're not killing ourselves, we're not surrendering, we're not davening, and we're not fighting. Vos tutman. Shalashudus. Dabriel b'nei Yisrael, v'yisol. Yisol, move on. What's that? Move on. We're moving, there's a sea. Pshat is, I told you to go to Harsina, go to Harsina. You move. The sea has to split, they'll split. Don't start committing suicide on me. So the Rebbe said, that's Brachas, Nazar, Yevamas, Chrysos. The Siyum is these four groups. And he basically connected it with the four Masechites. All long, long out. But the Nakuda was that there's four approaches that Jews have. When they're stuck, there's four different approaches. The Egyptians are behind them, the seas. One group says, Nippalayam. See, Taich, what's that Nippalayam? Nippalayam means, Yam is Almadiskasia, it's the concealed world, Yam of Torah, Yam of Tefillah. Let's jump into the ocean and submerge ourselves in the mikveh and stay in the mikveh all day and all night and don't come up. Go into a world of absolute spirituality. Mehadasa Torah. That's one group. One group says, I had enough with this crazy Meshuggah world. I go into the Yam of Torah, the Yam of Tefillah, asceticism, segregation, heaven, a form of death in a good way. The other group says the exact opposite. You got to surrender. You got to. You have to become part of the mainstream. You can't become, remain. A, you have to become part of society. Does it mean you have to be a slave? Sometimes, yeah. Does it mean you work for Egypt? Yeah, but you live. That's how you do it. Compromise. Philosophy of compromise. A third philosophy is you just fight. <laughs> All day you fight and you machmachos and you make you're busy fighting with everybody. You fight because you work for God. And the fourth option, he says, which seems like a really beautiful option, is you say, God, it's your world. You rely on him. You daven. You're not fighting. You're not surrendering. It's, it's the medaven. You sing the gunim and you daven. He said all four approaches were not uh, were not the right thing. What's the right approach? David al Bnei Yisrael v'Yisal. What's Pshat? He said the Eibush tezokt Moshe Rabbeinu said that outside was Madaf Ein Pak in the Talis and Tefillin, or Madaf Gain Shpalten Ayam. Comes a time you have to put away your Talis and Tefillin because they wanted to David, and you have to go split a sea. What's splitting the sea? Splitting the sea is that Almadis Gasya should become Almadis Galia. The concealed world should be the revealed world. The sea opens up. What was previously concealed should be revealed. In other words, don't fight the whole world. Don't surrender anything. Don't run away. And don't rely on God. Only. Your job is to transform Yabosha into Yam. And Yam into Yabosha. 
That's the Nekud of Lassus Le'ez That takes a certain sense, not because you're compromising, and not because you're running away, because your avoid is to confront the challenge and not be afraid of it, realize it was there to be transformed. That was the fifth approach that they didn't think of. They were trying to figure out how it works. You have a destination, go to your destination. Travel. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.